1: Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. God extended His love toward us by Jesus Christ coming down from heaven, exchanging His clothing, which was the glory of God, for a human body so that He could encounter man, He could meet man. Reminds me of a, of a circle that, that's very common in Mexico, at least, with an arrow on it in the parking lot. And that's all the companies you have to have a circles in the parking lot with arrows that point into it. In the parking lot, we have one at Scannabodies in um, in Tucati. And when there's a disaster like a fire or an earthquake, and you actually practice this, but anyway, everyone is supposed to go to the circle with the arrow, you know, pointed in the parking lot. And that's the meeting point where you'll be helped, see? Just like when there's a disaster in life, God has a meeting place where God will bring to man help. And that meeting place is Jesus Christ. He is the circle with the arrow. Going, he's Jesus Christ. It's just like that circle with the arrow on it because Jesus Christ is God's meeting place where God will meet man to bring him help. Just like we tell all the people at Takati. See, when you hear the alarm, when we practice this, you hear the alarm, everybody goes to the meeting point. You're not supposed to go any other place, you gotta go to the meeting point. And God says that when you hear the alarm and you're in a disaster, you go to the meeting point, that's Jesus Christ, go to Jesus Christ, because he is God's meeting place for man where man meets God. And because Jesus Christ is God's outstretched arm to God, Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord that's revealed from Isaiah 53-1. And when Jesus Christ said, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly and heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. When he said that come unto me in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he was saying come to God's meeting place. After disaster, come to God's meeting place and that's Jesus Christ, come into God's outstretched arm because Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. Now, verse 32 when he said this about them all being offended was bad news for the disciples that Christ was gonna be struck by God the Father and they would all be scattered. But that is not where Christ left them hanging Because he said in verse 32, verse 32, after that I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So he's just told them that all the disciples are going to desert him in the time when there would be no one to stand with him. I mean, who should stand with him? These were his closest friends. These were his closest confidence friends that he had on earth. The 12, he already told them that One of them was gonna betray him, but now he's told them all are gonna run away from him. They're all gonna run away. And he's gonna be left alone, nobody standing by him. But it goes on, verse 32, he says after all that disloyalty, after all that failure to be devoted to him, he tells them he's not gonna forsake them. He says, you'll forsake me, I won't forsake you because after he's been crucified and all the disciples are running back to Galilee for their lives to hide themselves from those murderers in Jerusalem who just murdered Christ, that at that time when they're fleeing from Jerusalem to Galilee, he tells them that he's gonna go before him. He says, I'll meet you in Galilee, I'll meet you there. That's a wonderful, comforting assurance for the disciples that even though they left Christ all alone to suffer alone, even though that Christ was not gonna leave them alone in their deepest need, he'd be with them. That's a tremendous thing. It reminds me of what happened last Wednesday. Last Wednesday when I was scuba diving with my friend and the dive master guide. And so, you know, first the dive master says, well, I think you'll take about 14 pounds of lead weight, you know, on your weight belt to get you under. I, says, I said, there's a lot more buoyancy in this body than that. I told him, I said, it's gonna tell you kept, hitting, kept adding more and more weight. So it was 27 pounds of lead weight. That's a lot, isn't that Clint? That's a lot. 27 pounds around me to get this whale into the water. Well, we had all just entered the water and we were floating, bobbing around on the surface of the water with air in our vests so we could float. And we're bobbing around there on the surface and, and, uh, and everyone, everyone else kind of be bobbing up and down. So they're breathing through their regulator but I don't like to use my regulator, I don't like to use my air in my tank up, so I use the snorkel. So I'm the only one there breathing through a snorkel, so I can conserve the air in my tank. And then the dive master, you know, gave the signal to, to release the air out of the vest so we could go down, you know, pull a cord and out goes the air and down you go. Well, I forgot that I was breathing through my snorkel. So as I went down my snorkel closed off and I had no air and I was sinking, I was going down. Well, obviously because I'm here this morning, (laughs) I quickly found my regulator. But for that moment, when my air closed off and I was sinking, I panicked. And that panicky feeling stayed with me all through the dive. Now, the Sea of Cortez, has some very deep canyons in it. Some of them are 10,000 feet deep. It's an unusual place. And at one point of the dive, we were at about 50 feet under the water, and we were kind of over a rock cliff down there, and I swam out over the cliff, and I looked down, and it was so deep, I couldn't see the bottom. It was so deep. And I thought, what if? I thought, what if? I just dropped uncontrollably down into that deep, dark canyon, and I thought I would be all alone. And then for a moment, I felt really scared and panicked, and then immediately came this assuring thought to me that even if I dropped down to 10,000 feet into the dark there, I wouldn't be all alone because Christ would be with me even into that deep, dark canyon. Why? Because of Colossians 1.27, Colossians 1.27. Christ in you the hope of glory because of Galatians 1:16 Galatians 1:16 his son in me because of 1 Corinthians 3:16 1 Corinthians 3:16 you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you and Christ doesn't say dropping down 10,000 feet under the water that's too much for me i'm scared and panicked and i'm leaving you alone i'm going to you can drop down your 10,000 feet all by yourself, that's what the disciples did to Christ. The disciples said, that's too much. You arrested and taken by the temple guards. That's too much for me. We're scared and panic. You're all alone. We're out of here. And they left him all alone. But Christ never did that with his own. As the scripture says in Hebrews 13, 5, Hebrews 13, 5, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. As Moses told Israel in, in Deuteronomy 31, six, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of a good courage, fear not, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And that's why Christ told his disciples that even after they were gonna desert him, abandon him, run away from him, they'd be on the, that they would be on the run from his enemies, that he would be with them in verse 32. Verse 32, he said, after that I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. That's what's meant by the last part of Zechariah 13.7. Zechariah 13.7, where it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, "Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. That's what's meant. When Christ said in verse 32 that he would go before them into Galilee, that was a fulfillment of that last part of Zechariah 13.7, Zechariah 13.7, which says, I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Now, it's really easy to look at Zechariah 13.7 and say, oh yeah, I gotta figure it out now. If I didn't know, if I didn't know, I never could have figured out that prophecy in Zechariah 13.7. If I didn't know, This passage here in uh, Matthew 26, I never could have worked out what Zechariah 13.7 is is talking about. As a matter of fact, when you look at the prophecies in the three verses, the one in front of it, Zechariah 13.6, the one behind it, Zechariah 13.8, goes like this, Zechariah one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. When is that gonna happen? That will happen when the Jewish people see Christ after the tribulation, that's the time. After, just after the tribulation. Okay, now we come to the one we've been talking about now, Zechariah thirteen seven. Zechariah thirteen seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. That happened in Matthew 26 to the disciples when Christ was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and was tried in the Sanhedrin and was crucified on Mount Calvary and then after the resurrection when he returned to Galilee. That's when that happened, okay. Now what about the next verse, Zechariah 13.8, Zechariah 13.8. And it shall come to pass that in the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. When is that gonna happen? That will happen to the Jewish people during the tribulation, during the tribulation. Now these are three sequential verses, six, Zechariah 13, six, seven, and eight. So in three consecutive verses in Zechariah 13, we jump from the times of, verse six, after the tribulation, verse six, to verse seven, during Christ's suffering and just after the resurrection, to verse eight, during the tribulation. Chronologically, this prophecy is mumbo jumbo. It's mixed all over the place. That's why for me, there's no way that I can put all these pieces together unless it's already happened as it has now. We can look at at verse seven, Zechariah 13, seven. That's the reason why I do not try and figure out all that's gonna happen chronologically before it's happened based on prophetic scriptures. I don't want to talk about prophecy. Why? Because I don't wanna be wrong. And the sequence of future events is just a puzzle, it's a puzzle. And that's not to say that we don't touch prophecy. We realize that prophecy in scripture is good, and it, but it gives us glimpses, glimpses of what will happen. Sometimes glimpses within a very verse in which there's thousands of years, literally, between a comma, as was the case when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good tidings unto the poor, as he said in the temple, and he closed the book before he read and to declare the day of the Lord. That's 2,000 years later between a comma and a space. Not even a different sentence, not even a different word. Because prophecy gives us glimpses of what will happen, to, to, to figure out when this is gonna happen, when that's gonna happen, we cannot see that, clearly. Chronology on future events is just impossible to figure out. I think the rapture is gonna happen before the tribulation, but that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. So pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I'm having enough trouble figuring out prophecy that's already happened, much less to trigger out the prophecy that hasn't happened yet. But anyway, that's on the side. Now, Christ has told the disciples that they would all be offended in him. The disciples didn't accept that, that they were all gonna be turned away, and Peter is so offended at the prediction that he would be offended at Christ, he says in verse 33, no way, no way. Peter answered said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. That was a statement of pure, unadulterated pride. Pure ugly pride because Peter looked at the rest of his compadres and the other disciples and he said, well, it's it's possible that all those schmoes might be offended in you, not me. Oh, no, not me. I'm cut out of a different piece of cloth compared to these guys. I'm cut out of the cloth of supreme loyalty, supreme devotion to Christ, but these guys they're, they're fair weather they failures. I can understand these guys. They're gonna cut and run, not me. That's Peter. That was pride. Can you imagine how the other disciples felt when they heard Peter say that about them in that statement in verse 33, verse 33, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. We can imagine the other disciples saying, thinking to themselves, Peter, who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are to say that we all are gonna fall but you're not gonna fall? What that shows us is what pride does. Pride divides, pride separates friends. Pride always has the same message and the same message of pride is always, I'm better than you, I'm better than you because pride is the message of the Pharisee who stood in the temple in uh, Luke 18, 11, Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself: God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, it reminds me of the rabbi who called me this, this last week. Uh, we have an interesting relationship. We're, we're both trying to convert each other. But he called me this last week and he says, Tom, Tom, holy Tom, how is my righteous brother, holy Tom? He always wants to go that way. And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. You probably have the wrong, no, I said, you have the wrong number. <laughs> I told <don't. laughs> him, ain't me. No, holiness, all of our righteousness is very filthy rags. Used menstrual cloths is the actual literal Hebrew meaning of filthy rags. So who are you calling holy? Anyway, humility is what brings friends together which is why the apostle Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than any other person, and yet Paul brought people together because Paul did not say that he was better than others. Just the opposite, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews 3.8, Hebrews 3.8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. He called himself the lowest of all saints. 1 Corinthians 15.9, 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, I am the least of the apostles, I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. First Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, chief sinner, he calls himself. This is the way to unite a group, is to do the opposite of what Peter did when he said he was better than the rest. The way to unite a group together is to follow Philippians 2.3, follow Philippians 2.3, which says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. And Peter said he was better than the rest, and that brought division, but the way of the unity is to say that they're better than me. And what Peter should have said was that, Lord, by relying on you, for strength and help. I should be able to stand in the hour of temptation. But he didn't say that, he said, aye, aye, aye. Again, Christ intended by saying that they would all be offended to him for them to return to that position that they were in in verse 25, verse 25, when they said, me, could it be me, is it I? Let me take a look at myself. Let me see where my Achilles heel is. Let me see where, where, where I could lose my loyalty and devotion to Christ. Now, in verse 33, as we said, the big word that Peter keeps emphasizing is I, yet will I never be offended, pure pride. And Christ does not let Peter get away with it. He doesn't let Peter, that that statement just there, this rest, all that pride, that self-conceit, that self-confidence, that arrogance. Christ responds in verse 34. Verse 34, Christ says, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The subject of this whole thing of what Christ is talking about is this night, this night. And Christ says that something's gonna happen this night in verse 34, this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The emphasis is on this night and what caps off, what closes, what finishes the night? The rooster, the rooster crowing at sunrise. And so Christ says, look, before before the rooster marks the sunrise by crowing, you will have denied me three times. I mean, Peter has just made the statement of utmost self-confidence. And to that statement, Peter is gonna fall, Christ said, which shows us when we feel that we are safe from temptation, when we feel that we are free from sin, When we feel that our standing is so firm in our faith in Christ, that's the time when we're in the greatest danger. That's the time of the greatest danger of falling. When we feel like we're not others, not like others, who can fall away from Christ, that's when we're in the greatest danger of personally falling away from Christ. Galatians 6.1, Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, which is why the statement is so good that John Bradford made when he saw a group of prisoners on their way to be executed, and he said, but for the grace of God, there go I. Peter said, I'll never abandon Christ. I'll never run away. And Christ said, you're gonna do worse. You're gonna do worse than abandoning me. You're gonna do worse than running away. They'll abandon me, they'll run away, but you'll do worse. You will deny that you ever knew me. Christ told Peter that Peter was going to, you will disown me, Peter. That was unthinkable for Peter. It's unthinkable for us also. And the reason that Peter thought that and the reason that we think that is because there's a failure to realize the characteristic of Satan's attacks. The characteristic of Satan's attacks is described in Ephesians 6.16. Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. What's that? A fiery dart is a flaming arrow that just seems to come out of nowhere and completely surprises its victim. The fiery dart comes and people say, where'd that come from? Psalm 91.5, Psalm 91.5, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night or for the arrow that flieth by day. The fiery dart is the arrow that flies out of nowhere by day and strikes in a complete shock and a surprise and that's what Peter was facing that night in the temptation. That night caused him to disown his relation, any relationship that he had with Christ. It was from the fiery dart that came out of nowhere and hit Peter. Those are the most dangerous temptations that you and I face in life. And Christ told Peter that he would not just do it once, a base denial of Christ, but that he would do it again and again, three times. That's a picture of sin. You don't just sin once and walk away. Oh, I don't know how I got pregnant. Oh, that wasn't a one time. It's not one time, but it's again and again. It repeats itself because the Bible says that sin is like the letting forth of water. You can't stop it. It keeps going. But Peter doesn't agree. Neither do any of the disciples. They persist in their stubborn failure to... Believe, verse 35, verse 35, Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our great Savior, our faithful Savior, our Savior who's loyal to us when we're not loyal to him, our Savior who is devoted to us when we turn and run. We thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, Help us to realize our weaknesses and to cling to you for strength, for reliance, not trusting in ourselves, but in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, Email us at tomcanter@friendshipwithgod.org, at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.